Welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We certainly wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from you, wherever you may be. All right. Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or Billings, Montana. There you go. <laughs> Even Bastrop. <laughs> <laughs> Even, huh? There you go. Wherever you may be, give us a call. We'll glad to try to help you out and get an answer to whatever might be bugging you. And that is really one of the things that just don't want to use the word irritate because it's not an irritation. But mm-hmm. one of the things that just kind of amazes me, I guess I would say, okay. is how many times I do get an email and it always starts with, I had such and such and such, and I've changed. Yak, 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 yak. And right. they'll, they'll rattle off a whole thousand, of yeah, thousand, fifteen hundred dollars worth of parts they've changed in an effort to try to alleviate whatever kind of malady they have there. Right. And it always in the back of your mind, you say, man, why didn't you write this email before right. <laughs> you <laughs> exactly. did all this? You know? Exactly. And, Unfortunately, I guess sometimes the answer to the email is, look, you need to take this to a professional. Right. Because this is not something you're going to be able to diagnose. It takes a lot of specialized training just to understand how it works. It takes specialized tooling to check the portions of it. And I had a a gentleman who had wrote he had a code for a fuel gauge circuit malfunction. And he says it looks like the gauge works okay. Where do I start? I said, well, without a Ford IDS to go in and read what the computer is seeing, because this could be high resistance in the wiring. It could be the PCM is malfunctioned. Yep. It could be the sender unit is bad. It could be something's broken loose in a tank and it's interrupting the range of the float. There's just so many possibilities. And well, somebody said it could be, so, well, yeah, it, it could, could be. be. It yeah. could be all kinds of things. But the point is, do you want to spend three hours dropping the tank out? replacing the sender, putting it all back together and still have check engine light. Right. It's really a lot less expensive to just pay someone who understands how it works to go in, do some pinpoint tests, eliminate the possibilities for you electronically, and then tell you what part it is, even if you choose to fix it yourself. Sure. And what you're doing, I know there was a time when we kind of expected things to be free as far as information, but in an information society, information right, is what most people are selling. Right. That's gone away now. It really has. And because it's so expensive to diagnose these things, very, very often the diagnosis costs more than the repair does. Sure. It's number one. It's generally the highest trained guy in the shop that's doing it. Right. And he's probably one of the best equipped guys in the shop just because of the number of things you got to have just to begin to figure out what's wrong with things. The point is, don't go and just do a whole lot of things before seeking advice and you know what's really misleading is when you pull a computer code Mm -hmm. it gives you a component area to search in that does not say that just because it sets a let's say a mass airflow code that the mass airflow sensor is bad correct and that is kind of where things had gotten to you had a code you just went and changed a part yeah you went to a part store and they told you what part changed and 99 percent of the time it was wrong and then the part you're putting on wasn't as good as the one you're taking off so now you've created two problems and the one you took off was still good but it is now gone because right. you had to turn it in for a core charge now you threw it away or you're right i had a guy come in with a little honda the other day and it was setting a downstream oxygen sensor code okay and we check the oxygen sensor and it is flat lined all the way lean well pulled it out to test it further and the end was broke off of it right 
And what had happened is the substrate inside the catalytic converter had shifted, and when it did, it broke the end off the oxygen sensor. Now, had you just read an oxygen sensor code, pulled it out, put an oxygen, it, it would have almost immediately occurred again. Well, even And if, it was 300 if, bucks for an oxygen sensor. If you could have put the new one back in. Yeah. Because the substrate had moved, mm-hmm. so it probably blocked the hole. You may not have been able to put the new sensor back in. Oh, that's easy. Just take a punch and punch a hole and put it back <laughs> <up> in there. <laughs> Let's catch a few of these phone calls. We've got Paul online. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. My wife has a VW Tiguan, mm-hmm. and it started making this horrific howling sound. And I found out it was the PCV valve. Okay. So, so I changed it. Mm-hmm. The, the howling stopped, but then it ran really rough, and it was misfiring. So I checked the plugs, and it still had the original plugs, and it was has 80,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. So I changed the plugs, and it ran beautifully. Then it, she drove it yesterday, and it got warm. And now the EPC PCV? light and the check engine light is flashing, mm-hmm. and it won't go over 4,000 RPM. Man, Paul, it sounds like you got something else going on there other than the PCV valve is the original problem. And mm-hmm. when you did that, you... Clearly, you open the lines and you move some things around. It may have temporarily cleared the problem, but I don't think you get into the root cause of the original problem. The codes that are there now, what are they? I don't know what the codes are. Okay. Probably need to get that and see. And if it won't go over a certain speed, generally, that's going to be one of a few things. Either it's going into some type of fail-safe mode, which has shut the throttle down, and you were working in that area. Check real good around the throttle body. Make sure one of those wires isn't just a little bit loose where the connect, you might take it off, replug it, make sure all the connections are tight. Because the way it works is it's got two sensors in the gas pedal and the accelerator, and it's got two sensors in the throttle body. And it's yeah. all done electronically, and it's just drive-by wire. And when you accelerate, what happens is that it has to get a feedback on both circuits and compare them. If you have a little bit of a loose wire and one circuit reads slightly different from the other, it's going to go to a default and shut the throttle down to keep the car from running away. That's one possibility. Now, another is if when it won't go over 4,000, is the engine racing and the car just not moving, or is it just no, the motor won't race? Um, she, when she drove it home yesterday, it was it was really rough. Mm-hmm. And then I, I went and I pulled the plugs back out again to check the plugs. Uh-huh. And... Cylinder one and four both had a little bit of oil on the on the plugs itself, so I cleaned them off and put it back put them back together. But it still did the same thing. But it like it ran rough and it wouldn't give it much power. Right, it could be a misfire too. Paul may have some bad ignition coils on it, which is what made the original plugs go bad. In other words, if that ignition coil doesn't fire the plug, it's going to foul out pretty mm-hmm. fast because it's got gas spraying on it all the time. If you had some type of a scan tool or some way to read the code, you could see which cylinders the misfires exist on. And let's say, for instance, it's cylinders one and two that are misfiring. Take the call off number one and move it to number three and take the one off number two and move it to number four and take two and four or three and four and put on the other two because they're all the same. Then drive it again. And if the misfires move, well, then we know we got bad coils. Okay. See, so that's a fairly easy way you could do it yourself. You just have to have a way to determine what code you have in it. And if it's a single cylinder misfire, you can swap most of the parts side to side between cylinders, and you can isolate that. But if you've got a cylinder misfiring, it's not going to have any power, 
and it's going to definitely foul the plugs out, and it's going to run very rough. And that could cause the same thing as the throttle body? It could, yes. It, yes. Could, it could see it's, the misfire and decide that. It could shut the throttle, throttle down, yeah. or it may just be that it doesn't have enough power because of the two misfiring cylinders. Those misfire may have just gotten worse, okay. and now it's not firing at all. But don't, you, go and bu- don't go and buy a whole set of um, coils. In. I would not because it's possible that's not the problem at all. You know, It could be the coil driver. It could be the fuel injector. Right. It could be all sorts of things. But it's relatively inexpensive to have someone check and tell you what cylinder the codes are on, swap the calls yourself, and see if the misfire moves. If it doesn't move, then that's not the problem. You see, then you could actually take the fuel injectors out and move those if you needed to and see if it moves. Move the plugs and see if it moves. In other words, it's a lot less expensive just to change parts from side to side than it is to start buying new parts. Gotcha. And, I mean, worst-case scenario, if none of that makes a difference, you need to go in and do a compression test on the motor, make sure you got good compression because it could be like a valve hanging or something like that also. But, you know, that's a lot less likely. I mean, the calls are fairly common, but I wouldn't just go buy calls. I would I would do some sort of testing on it first. All right, I'll, I'll do that. Okay. Otherwise, I might, I might bring it to you guys. Well, I don't work on Volkswagen. I own a European, but anybody who does European uh-huh. cars can do that for you. I'll never buy another European vehicle. <laughs> well, they're just different. And they are. You, you have to be tooled up for whatever you work on, you know. Exactly. All those T30, T this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, they, it, every manufacturer has so much of that that shops have to select which cars they're going to work on anymore because they just can't afford to work on all of them. All right. Well, I'll call you guys next week with a question about a, a Saturn. So there you go, Bob. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, man. All, all right. right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to borrow the automotive hour, and we've got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning. Hope y'all are having a good morning today. Great, sir. Yes, sir. I called a couple weeks ago about my expedition having some rubbing noises coming from the transmission while it was in tow haul going up hills. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And you said to make sure that it had Mercon SP in it the last time it was changed. So okay. I, I pulled out my paperwork and found that they used a BG product that supposedly met the specs of yeah. Mercon SP. Uh-huh. And so I wanted to see what she thought about that, if I needed to Yeah, I don't use it. any of that stuff, yeah. man. The, the only reason in the world, David, to use that stuff is to save money for the shop so they don't have to stock all the cr- proper fluids. I mean, we've no. stocked probably 35 different kinds of oh, transmission yeah. fluids. I Easy. stock the fluid for every individual car. And, I mean, they've manufactured that stuff. Ford did not go to the trouble of making Mercon 5, Mercon LV, Mercon SP, you know, yak, 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 yak. They got about six different fluids. They don't go to the expense of doing all that just to do it. Each one addresses certain issues in a transmission, and that's why it's done that way. And I'm real big on putting the right fluid. I mean, you can go in and do all kinds of diagnosis and look for all kinds of stuff, but you can feel silly if you spend $250, somebody comes back, so it's got the wrong fluid in it. You know, yep. we just diagnosed all this and found we had it wrong. I mean, I would start out putting it back the yeah. way it was supposed Ford to be made it. supposed to be built. Yes, sir. Okay, great. All right, I'll start there. All right, David. Thanks. Thanks, all man. Right, bye bye. Bye bye. We got time for one more. Yeah, we're all gonna right. catch. We've got Gretchen online. Good morning, Gretchen. Good morning. Y'all are doing a great job. Love. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I have a 2010 Mazda. CX-7, mm-hmm. and 156000 on it. Okay. Great condition. My AC is running high on the on the compressor side, I think is, is what I was told. And 
it's running high on one side, mm-hmm. and then both the fans come on. With I'm just trying to prepare what I need to be, look for. Well, high, high pressure, Gretchen, is generally going to always be one of a few things. Number one is, like you alluded to, the fans are either not working or not working fast enough because they oh. are a variable speed fan. They could be turning but not turning fast enough. And if you don't draw enough cool air through the condenser, the first symptom excuse me, symptom is that the head pressure is going to go sky high. And that's very dangerous because that can damage the compressor. Right. Now, if all of that is working properly, the second thing is either the system could be overcharged, in other words, it has too much refrigerant in it, and that's pretty common, or yeah. it's contaminated. It's got some air in it, or it's got the wrong refrigerant in it, or it's got a mixture of refrigerants in it. That will right. run the high side pressure sky high. And the only way to possibly charge this air conditioner is to evacuate the entire charge out and put the right amount back in. You can't just go in with gauges and start adding refrigerant and all that. That's what a lot of people do. And when they do, they get it overcharged, which will destroy the system. The first thing you need to do is check and make sure there's no sealant in this system. If somebody's added refrigerant to it that has a sealant in it, they have pretty much wiped the system out because yeah. now it can't be recovered. Right. You can contaminate your system. So there's a little device that we hook up that will identify what's in there, make sure it is R134A, it's not contaminated, doesn't have sealant and all that kind of stuff. Once you identify it, then you're going to need to draw it all out, put the right amount back in. But, again, first you're going to verify the fans and all are working right. Correct. Now, if none, if none of that is the case, then more likely you've got a restriction in the system somewhere and the compressor is pumping against a restriction, which is running high side, that's probably the worst-case scenario because restrictions come from malfunctioning parts. Generally, the compressor is breaking down and metal is plugged to your office tube or something like that, and that's why you would have a restriction because the sealed system, nothing gets in, nothing gets out. So anything in it that would restrict anything Came is from a, a component. Yeah, a component in it has failed. Okay. All right. How do I determine the fans are working fast enough without taking it apart? Well, you would have to have a scan tool that could go in and read the speed of the fans. That's just no other way to really look at them and see. I mean, the module can vary that speed from, I think, 40% up to 99% on either or both fans. And if they both run at 40%, they're sitting there turning. I mean, how do you know? It's hard to see the difference between 40% and 90%. Right. You'd have to have a scan tool that could read the command and then read the output from the fan and see if it's turning the proper speed. I mean, unless you had an identical car and you had them side by side, you might could put your hand in front of them and feel one's harder than the other. But, right. you know, that's right. not real practical right. either. So, No, no. So, all right. Well, thanks. All right, I Gretchen. Have a great day. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. All right. We've got to take our first quick little break, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more on the Automotive Hour. In the office and whoa what is up with all the charts and graphs buddy oh i'm using my system i've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars is that an armillary sphere yes yes it is so the oil gets changed every third full moon brake pads divide the years becky and i've been married by our oldest son's age timing belt is leap year except when it's on y- the time you know thing. there's a better way right I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, Let me get Agco's number online and uh, give them a call. Is that dial-up? 
dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And should you happen to miss your only opportunity today to get your questions answered live, you can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it on in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. You just get it filled out and send it to me, and I'll get an answer right on back to you as quick as I possibly can. Within 24 hours. Within 24 hours, for sure. And right now, I've got a little bit of a dishevelment with my place in New Orleans, yeah. so my email's not hooked up. i got to kind of go somewhere to check it. So Uh-oh. I probably am only going to do that once, once. a day. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyway, if, if it takes a little bit longer than normal, because sometimes I get it back within a few hours, but right. it, it probably will But it will be within 24 hours regardless. Perfect. I will get that answer right on back to you. And just so much easier to do that than to do the wrong thing like we were talking about before or go spend a bunch of money on something that's not going to help. And in many it's cases may make things worse. Make things worse. Yeah, it's just the nature of cars today. They are very complex, very, very critical and the simplest little things can create other problems and you can damage things so easily. Oh yeah. Yeah. With being the, the electronics, the way they're designed today. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's pretty much every part of the car is that way. I mean, even something as simple as brakes anymore, it's just hundreds of different options, different things that can be done and so on. We were looking at it. One of the air conditioning systems the other day on some of the newer cars that have the YF 1234 in them. Uh-huh. And, YF 1234 is sold by the ounce. Wow. And it's a considerable amount by the ounce, yes. And if I'm thinking somebody went in and thinking they're going to top this off and don't realize what's in it and Mm -hmm. drain that out, you may be looking at a $500 charge just to recharge the unit. Right. And it takes specialized equipment that only a handful of people even have. Yeah, that's a a very new system now. just came out everything's totally different nothing with 134a will work on it right you can't even hook the gauges the gauges are different from 134 to the new uh, system together the fittings are all different right the recycle machines are all different every part of it is going to be different mm-hmm. so you're going to have to find someone who can service it and anyone who's made that kind of investment is not going to do it for free believe no. me no so that is upwards of a 500 dollars charge just to charge the air conditioner on some of these right. newer cars. And so, and should you happen to vent it to the atmosphere and somebody finds out about it? Oh, yeah. That is a, what did they say it was a $20,000 fine? Something like that. It, it's it's way more than I want to pay for. Yeah, it's way more than I want to take a chance on. Right. I'm, I'm not going to run the risk of doing it. But, yeah, and it's just, there are just countless things like that mm-hmm. on the newer cars where they've, you may have always done something a certain way, but now, now everything has changed. Right. And the consequences of doing it wrong can be very, very penalizing. Sure. <laughs> Another thing, you, we were talking about air conditioning. And the old cars, when when I say old, back in the 80s and uh-huh. even somewhere else up until the 90s, a lot of those cars held as much as four to five pounds of refrigerant. Right. They were very large systems. And where I'm 
ambling on with all this is if you had a five pound system and it was a little bit low and you charged it and let's say you added a little too much the percentage of overcharge was pretty low let's say you put six pounds in it well you were only 20 percent overcharged at that point uh-huh. but on a new system they're very very small anywhere from 12 to 16 ounces on most of them so if this, let's say the system doesn't really need charging. You have something else going on, like one of the one of the fans isn't working, fan not working, an actuator is reheating the air, or something like that. Well, you go in, you dump another twelve ounces of refrigerant in there, which is one can of refrigerant. Right. Well, now it's one hundred percent overcharged, and now you start destroying. You will blow the compressor off the motor, yep. and when that compressor comes apart, all the particles out of it are going to go through the condenser now you're buying a condenser a compressor a filter dryer all the hoses that have mufflers in them or any type of restriction in them yep an expansion valve and possibly having to pull the dash and take the evaporator core out right so what you did is you took a problem that had nothing to do with what you originally tried to fix and by and squirting one can of refrigerant in this thing you create a four thousand dollar issue right and it's really, I know we've talked about this before. Sometimes it sounds like we're uh, harping on a, a, a sore subject. But, I mean, it is just so, so easy to go so, so far wrong. And, of course, once you do that, it quits cooling completely. You bring it to the shop, and, and he's tell telling you, you yeah, yeah. you got to change every piece because there's nothing here to work with. The whole system's contaminated. It's full of metal. It's full right. of this, full of that. And with air conditioning, obviously nobody wants to spend more than they have to. But it is far, far worse to spend less than you have to. <laughs> Believe me, if it requires $3,000 to fix this system properly and you go in and spend two, you have absolutely thrown 2000 away yep. and probably made the situation far worse because that new compressor and that new filter dryer you put on there, when that one little piece of metal comes out of that muffler in and that goes, manifold hose and goes back through it, right, you just destroyed it. You again. destroyed it again. So plus, the, you made it worse. The two is now gone. Sure, that's history. Now you've got the metal from two compressors in the system. So you, what you've done is you've wasted the two. Whereas if you'd have went ahead and spent maybe the three and did the job proper the first time, you'd, you'd be done, done with it. Right. And three is a whole lot less than five, <laughs> <laughs> which is what the other option is going to be. Yep. And that is true with a lot, a lot of things. You know, transmissions is another place where you may go in, do this, do that. I've had a fellow who called me, and he had a considerable number of miles on his transmission. Mm-hmm. Said he had it checked somewhere, and they told him the valve body was bad. Okay. And what I recommended is why don't you get a remanufactured transmission and put it in the car rather than replace the valve body? Okay. He says, well, I can get the valve body for $1,500. Okay, that's great but you still have to take transmission apart to put it in. Long story short, he buys a valve by 1500 bucks. He spends about three days putting it in the car. Right. It lasts about two weeks, and then the whole unit came apart. Well, now that new valve by is all full of metal and trash sure, and debris. It's, it's not any good. It's gone. It's done. So now you still got to buy a remanufactured transmission. Plus, you've already spent the 1500 for the valve body and spent the three days putting it in. That's right. And you just didn't really do, and like I tried to tell him, I said, you know, you're way, way better off to go ahead. This is, and, and I'm not trying to make fun of anyone or, or poke fun at any group of people, but it's kind of like doing a heart transplant on a man that's 95 years old. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it, it's just probably not going to be a practical thing because you're going to put him through more stress and, and anxiety to extend his life a very, very short period of time. And, you know, I'm sure there's probably one 95-year-old guy that that would make some sense for. But right. for the most part, if you've got a car with a considerable number of miles on it, then a major component replacement may not make sense. Another place where we see that is back on the Chevy pickups when they were having the cracked head issue. Right. And if this head had been cracked for a while, you kept losing coolant, you didn't know where it was going, well, it was going into the engine oil. Now, what happens is glycol is gumming up the engine, is sludging it up, it's breaking down the ability to oil to lubricate properly, so the lifters are full of it, the rod barons, the main barons are all full of it. It just, if the engine had, let's say, 175,000 miles, it was not practical to go in and put two new heads on an engine with 175,000 miles been run around with glycol in the oil. Right. It was a time bomb. Yeah. I mean, it was fixing to go off anyway. Either you just junked the car, if that's your right. preference, or you put another motor in, a rebuilt motor in it, because that's going to come with the cylinder heads, and it's going to fix the whole problem. Yep. Just sort of a waste to spend a third or even a half of the cost of putting a rebuilt motor for something that's just not going to last you at all. Exactly. Hey, we got to take another quick little break, but you guys hang on. We'll be straight back with a whole lot more. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? <laughs> no, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. <laughs> wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. <laughs> Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll get any kind of information you need right straight to you and try to help you out and help you from, yeah, put you in the right direction. There you go. Help you from making a mistake or whatever the case may be. There you go. There you go. Tell you we're sorry if you already made one. <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And, of course, we always appreciate your phone calls. Hey, we can go to the phone lines with James. Good morning, James. Good morning. How you guys doing? Doing great, sir. Doing great. I have a diesel truck. Do y'all work on diesel? No, sir. I don't service diesel, but I could maybe help you with it. What kind of problem are you having? Well, I got over 400,000 miles on it. Oh, okay. The check engine light came on, mm -hmm. and I'm just wondering, can I get it diagnostic somewhere? Or... Oh, yeah. What kind of truck is it, and what year model, James? It's a 2011 GMC yeah, 2500. Yeah, James, that's going to have full diagnostic capabilities on that one just like you do on a gas truck it's just the things that break on them are somewhat different because you don't have an ignition system on a diesel but yeah it will set a code and store code it's done exactly like a gasoline uh, vehicle would it's just the work due because a diesel is different you have to have the tooling and the equipment to work on that and there are people who specialize in just diesel 
and that's who okay. I would probably recommend is someone who specializes in the diesel truck. But most of the problems on them that I've seen, if it's still running pretty good, are generally not a big deal. You know, it's, it'll have some kind of a code stored, and you take the code, and you diagnose it from there and just go in and correct whatever's wrong. The light will go back out. Okay, because it's running perfect. I yeah. mean, I bought it brand new, and yes, uh, well, see, I haven't had many problems with it since I had it. Well, an awful lot of the things that can set a check engine light don't have anything to do with the way the car runs. Some of them are emissions-type codes. You know, it may have an evaporative emissions code, which you won't notice a difference in the running, but the truck knows something's wrong. It could even be something in, like, the transmission can set a code, which will turn check engine light on. You know, okay. so there's all sorts of things that can set a code that may or may not give an outward symptom that you can feel. But the good thing about a check engine light is kind of like an early warning system. It's saying, hey, something's wrong here. Let's take care of it now before it gets worse. Because what you may do, let's say it's got a electronic pressure control regulator that's hanging up, dropping the pressure to the transmission. Well, you wouldn't notice that, but that check engine light will catch it. But if you keep driving, you burn transmission up. So it's kind of like a little early warning system for you. You know, it's okay. like, hey, let's take care of this now before we have a big problem. So, yeah, just anyone who works on a diesel can run the codes for you, and once they run the code, that'll tell them where to start looking. They do a few tests, and that'll tell them exactly what's wrong. Okay, that's a lot of miles, so do they normally go that many miles? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Diesel. you must be a, like a hotshot driver or something to put that many miles. You hit it on the nail. You hit it right yeah. on there. Yeah, yeah, see, James, you are under ideal conditions because you probably, and I'm assuming, you probably get in this truck and go to Atlanta, you get in this truck and go to Dallas. You're driving 500 miles every time you drive the truck. Right. And that's how you got so many miles on it. Those are ideal conditions for a vehicle. I mean, those things will last probably yeah. six seven hundred thousand miles under those conditions see okay. what really kills a car is like the guy who gets in he goes three miles to the grocery store and touch it off or he goes three miles to work and it sits there all day then he goes two or three miles that that engine's so sludged up because it never gets to full operating temperature that, that's extreme service that's hard stop and go drive what you're doing is ideal conditions that under those conditions that truck will last a long 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 time that's what i needed to hear all right <laughs> yeah Okay, thank you, Alex. All right, James. All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Thanks. Uh, I-291-6901 is the number if you want to part of the automotive hour. You know, we hear these kinds of stories a lot, and I can generally spot, you know, it's going to be a hot shot driver. Right, uh, right. You know, it's 2011, so it's only, what? Six years old. Yeah, it's, uh, six years old, and he's got 400,000 miles. Right, so it's in the road. It's on the road. That is an ideal way to drive a vehicle. Oh, yeah. They love that. They love that, and people don't click to that all the time they, they think oh man that's a lot of miles or not but a car let's say a 15 year old car with thirty thousand miles on it is it's in far tough, yeah. far far worse shape it's than this one life. would be yeah that is the absolute hardest things and you know i wish they would change the descriptions basically what the manufacturers have is normal and severe right but what most people, what they consider normal and what most people consider normal is two, two different, different things. things. Right. Everybody considers the way they drive as normal, but most people are under severe conditions. Yep. And what normal is really ideal, which is long trips at a time like that. So it's sort of like a lot of the all change recommendations where they say you can go 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 miles. Well, yeah, under ideal conditions. Sort of like James, he could easily go that oh, far yeah. on his truck because that engine is at full operating temperature. It's balling all the moisture out. It's just rock and rolling. 
you know, those are ideal conditions, but the average person, not so much. Yeah. Catch a few of these phone right. calls. We've got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning, guys. Yes, Thank sir. You. Thanks for hosting your show. You bet. Got an 05 Highlander. When you first turn it, crank the engine up, the belt squeaks like crazy. Okay. okay. A fairly new belt. Mm-hmm. I will turn the AC off. Mm-hmm. It stops it. Yeah, it just cuts the load on it considerably. Right. And then you kind of, you know, give it a little gas and kind of mm-hmm. get it warmed up, so to speak. And you turn the AC on, it might just give a little squeal just for a second. Right. And probably as it gets hot, it doesn't do and it as much. And then it goes off, and then we're good for the rest, you know, rest well, of yeah, the trip. The, so the, the belt gets hot, and it gets a little yeah. stickier, so it works. The very right. first thing I would look at, David, make sure you've got a Toyota brand belt from the Toyota dealer on the vehicle. Okay. The aftermarket belts just don't work on Toyotas. They squeak, they squeal, they're just not cut exactly right. That really? Is, yes, that yeah. is by far the, the number one cause of that problem. And I would go to the Toyota dealer, buy a belt, and change it, and put down, and see, that will probably fix the problem. No if, way. Yeah, oh, yeah. For any wow. reason it continues to make any noise with a Toyota belt, there's a part called a belt tensioner, sure. which is a spring-loaded device. How many miles do you have, David? Hundred and I want to say a hundred and I'm cranking it up. One seventy seven. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's possible the belt tensioner is getting weak it's because it's, it's a spring loaded device, and on most cars they last about a hundred thousand miles. On Toyotas they generally make a hundred and fifty. But if the tensioner is getting weak, then you would probably well, be better to change the tensioner. And, and the I'm belt. familiar with the tensioner. I've changed it on other cars mm-hmm. and things. But I changed the alternator on this within the last three to six months. Mm-hmm. And there was no tensioner, not like the kind that I'm used to on a – I'm a Chevy guy. Yeah, if it, it does, does not have a spring-loaded tensioner, then you may have – can you move the alternator to adjust the belt? There's a – Or is there an adjustment mechanism that you can yeah, move? Yeah, there is. Okay. Some of but, them do ha- do not have auto, auto tensioners. They have a manual tensioner depending right. on what engine you've got. Right. Now, if that's the case, make sure the belt is tight enough. And if it's tight enough, I would change it and put a Toyota belt on it because I yeah. have fixed a million of them just changing the belt. By changing the belt. Yes, sir, you know, absolutely. And, I mean, even and we can't use brand names on the air, but yeah, even sure. the the large brand names we all know and trust, they just don't work on Toyota. They don't work on Toyota. Wow. They don't work on Honda. You got, I mean, I always go back to the dealer and buy those belts. Yeah. And you crazy. said you changed the alternator. Had did Was the belt squealing before the alternator or after? I think after. Well, m- make sure yeah. that the pulley on that alternator is the yeah. exact right one because some of them might have, like, a different number of grooves or something. Now, that can definitely make yeah. the belt squeal also. Right, yeah. Just if all that – you'll see because the belt will be all chewed up looking if that's yeah, the case. Yeah, no, I'm looking at it. You know, I'm looks good. outside okay. looking at it. Yeah, it's Man, fine. Looks good, too. I would so. go to a Toyota dealer and buy a belt, yeah. put it on there and tension it. I believe you'll f- solve your problem yeah. right there. Can I ask one more quick question? Sure, go ahead. And that is I bought this from my law partner mm-hmm. a number of years ago, and it's been great. They change the – this is a timing belt. Okay. And it's got timing belt replacement, 115000 Okay. And well, I'm, like how many I said, years? I'm a Chevy guy, so yeah. I've never – 05. Okay. So it, it's it, like it, when – and I've heard, and I'm not familiar with timing belts, but I've yeah. heard if you break a timing belt going down the road, yeah, you Yeah, you'll lose the engine. Time. Well, yeah. you lose the engine because yeah. the valves hit the pistons. Right, It's sure. every seven years – or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first, and the okay. years are more important than the miles. Yeah. It looks like he did it 10. Okay. Five, okay. Well, you're seven you're years then. Yeah, you're, you, you're You're due again because this is 17. So, yep. yeah, I would definitely change that immediately because 
every one I've ever seen break, it's never been because of the miles, it, although it could be, but it's always yeah. because of the years. Right. The yeah. seven years is pretty much the, the deadline. Yeah. And I don't know if you give stuff like that online, but ballpark is, am I expecting a thousand? If you do the, no, if you do the job properly, you're going to be somewhere between a thousand and twelve hundred, depending because you, at that high a mileage, you want to change the water pump, the idler pulleys, the, the cam seals. seals, the crank seal, right. the tensioners, everything. And I mean, if you want to, do the belt at the same time. There's no charge to do the outside belt because you're in there anyway. Right. Belt it's has to come off. off to do the other stuff. So. Oh yeah. And what did you tell? Tell me that. Say the number again. Between a thousand and twelve hundred, depending on yeah. what parts need yeah. to be changed. Yeah. Okay. All righty. That sounds good. All I right. appreciate it. Thanks for taking my call, guys. You bet. Sure. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Time for another one. All right. Yeah. You see, give Catch us one. Give us a knob. We got John online. Good morning, John. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. Good sir. morning. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I just bought a car from a friend. It was a 2008 Hyundai Sonata. Mm-hmm. And got 194,000 miles. And he has never changed transmission fluid. Okay. Someone advised me not to change it. So it break down. Is there any truth? No, there's absolutely no truth to that, John. Now, where that comes from, you got 194,000 miles and it's never been changed. Yeah, so, so, so the odds are it's going to break down anyway. Right. Now, if you change the fluid tomorrow and the next day it fails, what are you going to blame it on? Well, it's the fluid. No, it's not. It was going to fail regardless. It's the 194,000 miles without changing it. A proper service can never, ever, ever hurt it, and it may buy you some time. I mean, certainly it would have been better had he changed it three times before now, but that's water under the bridge. You can't do anything about that. But you want to make sure you do a proper service with the proper fluid. You do not want to flush, and you don't want any of this aftermarket fluid or anything into it. But a proper service can absolutely never hurt it. It cannot cause it to fail. It's just, it's kind of like we used the analogy earlier. If you got a man's 100 years old, he never ate a banana. He eats a banana, and two days later he dies. It's always going to be the banana that killed him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So, no, that's an old wives' tale. You cannot hurt it by doing a proper service. Now, you could hurt it by doing an improper service. You're putting the wrong fluid in it and all that. But you may buy yourself some time because you got to think it's going to be that fluid is real, real tired and it's not lubricating properly and all the additives have gone away. So, I would definitely go and have a proper service done on it. Is that something that you can do? Yes, sir. Okay. So, you do work on Hyundai? Yes, sir. Mm hmm. Okay. All right. Okay, John. I'd have to see what yeah. transmitter it's got. I'm not really sure, but uh, once they look at it, they can get you a price on it. Okay. All right. it. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right. got to take our last quick little break. <laughs> right back with a whole, whole lot more. Hey, Mike. Heading out for your run? <laughs> I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep. Did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, you know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. 
Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any question you might have. Got a question, comment, you just give us a call, 291-6901. There you go, and you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States. Wherever you may be, we'd always appreciate your calls and try to help you out. But we got a number of really good calls today. I had kind of wanted to discuss a little bit when we came in. With all the flooding and stuff going uh-huh. on around the country, I was listening to a lady the other day who almost lost her life and her car was washed off of the road okay into a creek and it went completely underwater and of course like most people she freaked out when this happened panicked right tried to open the doors and the doors wouldn't open okay and she's really panicking at that point and she was screaming and hollering about the car was defective and all that but you have to remember physics if you've got a box full of air Right. And you've got water pressure around it. You cannot open the door because the pressure inside is much lower than the pressure outside. Right. So the point is, if you are underwater in your car, you're going to have to just try to remain calm, take a big breath of air, wait till the car fills with water, then you can open the doors. That because now the pressure has equalized inside and outside. Correct. And the car will open. Now, a couple of other things, and I just thought we'd mention this, just hopefully it would never happen to anybody, but right. in case it should. If your car goes underwater, the battery goes underwater, so the electrical functions are going to cease to right. operate. You're not going to be able to roll the windows down. The electrical system is going to fail. Right. You will not be able to roll the windows down, and the power door locks won't work. Correct. Now, fortunately, every car with power door locks also has a manual override. Right. You're going to have to, if the doors are locked, like a lot of cars automatically lock when you're driving down the road. You're cruising down this little side road, big gush of water comes along, washes you off into a creek. The car floats for a second and starts to sink. You have to remain calm. That's the biggest thing. That's the key. And it's hard. The difference between you living and you dying. That's right. You have to maintain your calm. You have to say, okay, I know what to do because I heard Lewis talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) And. You're not going to be able to open the doors because the car is underwater. Your power door locks and the power. You, most people hit the power windows trying to roll them down. They're not going to go down. Right. So it's very easy to freak out at this point. But, again, wait until the car fills. Get your nose up as high as you can. Take a big old breath of air. Once the car is completely submerged, the door is going to open. Sure, just like it does when it's not underwater. Right. Then you can go out and swim to the top and get anyone else in the car have you'll have this discussion with people right now it really doesn't hurt if you ever tried to break a window in a car it is at its tempered glass it is a, you can beat on that until your fists are bloody you're yep. not going to break that glass so let's just say something were to happen where the door got jammed and you had to get out of the car they do make a little device they're really inexpensive it's a little hardened like a center punch kind of thing right I've got one in my car that someone gave me, and it's a combination window breaker, seatbelt cutter, and flashlight all uh-huh. in one. And I think it was 4 or $5. Cheap, cheap, cheap. But the thing is, if you've got something like that, you can break the glass to get out of the car. Because let's say you go underwater 
and a log or something washes up the side of the door. Right. And, and you push it open. against the bank on the other side. Well, now the doors are not going to open. So you're going to have to get out somehow. You've got to get out. And you can beat on those windows until your fists are bloody. You are not going to break that glass. Right. But that tool has a, a, a little center, sharp point. Right. And it will fracture that glass right at that little point. It just It's amazing how much just that little point mm-hmm. will break that glass, whereas a big fist or... Something like that will not break it. Well, it's hardened tempered glass, so when this thing touches it, it's going to turn into like a million little diamonds. It's just going to shatter, mm-hmm. and it's just go everywhere. It won't cut you or anything. It's not going to turn into like a big glass window where it breaks and cuts you. It's going to turn into a bunch of little diamonds. They're going to go everywhere, and then you can swim out through that opening. Through that opening. Now, another thing, again, the same tool has a cutter on it. And, again, under certain conditions, if you have tensioners on your seatbelts, they could tighten up and lock. Again, they're underwater. The electrical part of them is going to lock up. You may not be able to get the seatbelt off. Right. And if you're strapped in this car, even if you get the door open, you're, you're trapped. Straight, right. So this thing has a cutter. You can reach over and cut the seatbelt. Right. It's, it's got a little blade. recessed blade inside the handle, so you can't get your fingers on it or anything. Right. But it's got a groove just wide enough to get a seatbelt through, and you can cut that webbing on the seatbelt. Right. It's kind of some of those things you just never really think about. Hopefully, you never will have to think about this. Right. But it is wise to know these kind of things. And if you take that tool, don't just put it in the car somewhere. Mm-hmm. Put it near the driver. Right. I in keep mine front, in the pocket in, in my door. There you go. It's right there where, right I can there reach where you it. can reach it. Mm-hmm. Now, one last thing. Remember a few years ago, allegedly these cars, the throttle was sticking and all that kind of stuff. If that should happen, let's say the throttle were to stick on your car and the car starts to run away. Okay. The simple, easiest, most effective thing you can do is shift the car to neutral. Correct. Because there are some cars with the push button start and stop that you can't turn it off if it's in gear. Mm -hmm. It just won't turn off. You have to put it in park before you can turn it off. Right. So, but you can still manually shift it into neutral. Shift it let into the, neutral. Let the motor rev over. Let it blow if it has to. Well, it's going to hit the rev limiter. The computer's going to shut it down at so many RPM anyway, so it's going to sit there and rah, rah, rah. The thing is, by kicking it into neutral, you're going to maintain your power steering and all that. You'll still have your power maintain brakes. Maintain your power brakes, so it makes the car easier to control. But there's no sense in, like these people who ran off the road and got killed and all, Again, it's just a matter of understanding the car, understanding how it preparing for these sorts of things. Yep. Nobody wants to think about that, and it's very unlikely it's ever going to happen to you. But what does it hurt to sit to and know. prepare, teach your wife, teach your children, these yep. under these extreme conditions, this will save your life. Right. And like I said, just a little tip, a little bit off our normal repair topic, but I thought we'd just kind of kick that on That's in there. And, good topic to cover. There you go. Just something to think about. But like I said, just kick it neutral, and it's going to coast to a stop. Sure. Brakes well, will bring it down. That's right. You'll have brake control in, and you can stop the car. Mm-hmm. There you go. Now, I'll get on out of here and start winding it on up. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be, mm-hmm. and find the review, and please fill it out for us. Hey, go give us a written review. That'll move us up in the rankings so that more people can hear us, and that way we can keep doing the show. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.